race to online learning, the risk of hunger. I'm Jared Murphy from citylimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jared, how you doing? I am uh, I am doing, Ben. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's a very challenging time for the city. I'm trying to uh, process it all as it's happening and obviously we're uh, you know, trying to cover it as well and, and keep tabs on what's happening. So it's uh it's very challenging. It is indeed, and today on the show, we're obviously going to focus exclusively on the coronavirus crisis. There's little else to talk about, even though there is a state budget uh, nearing approval that we will probably touch on lightly. We'll be speaking today with Joel Berg, a longtime anti-hunger advocate, about the impact this crisis, the health crisis, and the economic fallout from it are having on the city's food pantries and nutrition support system, SNAP, uh, hunger that we're seeing, the school system. And then we'll be speaking uh, to the guy who runs the school system, DOE Chancellor Richard Carranza, about all the changes they have had to put in place very quickly for nearly a million students, a massive experiment in online learning. Yeah, two important conversations that we'll have today. Uh, I'm particularly uh, interested in what Joel has to say about um, you know what is certainly a burgeoning hunger, food insecurity, really sort of doubling of the crisis and I don't mean doubling but by you know actual mathematical terms but you know everybody should understand of course going into this coronavirus crisis which is a public health crisis a social crisis an economic crisis um, you know that we already have millions of people in New York City millions who are food insecure uh, who struggle to put food on the table um, and people living in poverty and, and people who um, you know Really, the social safety net is there to to help, but something like this um, shock to the system, creating many, many, many thousands more people who are unemployed or who've lost most of their hours, um, it just creates a whole new level of emergency. And so, uh, you know, want to hear Joel's perspective on what it means and how um, government and beyond need to respond to the situation when it comes to food insecurity. And then, of course, um, you know, last week on the show, we talked to Alex Zimmerman, a reporter from Chalkbeat, New York, who had some great insights as to the start of remote learning in New York City for about 1.1 million school students. And today we get a chance to talk to the school's chancellor about it. And now there's been a little more time under their belt to see how it's going and how they're evaluating it and how they're shifting it. So really looking forward to asking him some questions about how that's going. Uh, and Ben, there's obviously been news today uh, from the governor and the mayor and other sources on the crisis and the response. There are a lot of headlines to talk about. What stands out for you as, as the top ones to discuss? Uh, I mean, right now it's it's all about, I think, the emergency efforts to increase the hospital capacity to secure the ventilators that are needed to, um, you know, one of the things that has been stressed at times by officials that, you know, really needs to sink in, of course, is that there's thousands of people in New York City hospitals not there for coronavirus and they still need to be cared for. And there's people who under all sorts, sorts of circumstances need to be treated in hospitals, um, whether it's people uh, having babies or it's people who've had uh, heart attacks or whatever it might be. Um, and so this is not just about coronavirus, of course, it's about the larger hospital systems, uh, capacity, the ventilators that are needed, the equipment for to keep our, our medical professionals safe. Um, that, that seems to be 
really an emergency situation to make sure that that we're preventing as many nurses, doctors, and others who work in hospital settings from from catching this virus as possible. Um, so really, it's just about that that sort of surge capacity and and the the beating the timeline of the virus spread and the worsening of conditions for thousands of people where medical professionals and the system can handle um, what's coming. Uh, what are you thinking about today? I mean, that, that's been very much on my mind, Ben. Uh, as you know, I was in the hospital briefly in January. Uh, this was obviously pre-COVID, seems like years ago. And even during that period of time, which I suppose was still during flu season, you know, I had a bed for a few days, um, but by the time I was getting discharged, there were people in the hallways uh, on stretchers. There were folks waiting 15 hours or more to get from the ER to a bed, and that was before any of this crisis hit. So there was not a lot of slack in that system uh, beforehand, and, and they are obviously now racing to create it. I thought it was interesting today, two kind of big news announcements other than the the very sober news of the annual, or I should say daily, uh, climb in the death count, was that Jimmy O'Neill, the former police commissioner, is coming on to be a uh, senior advisor to Mayor de Blasio on this to coordinate the um, acquisition and distribution mainly of some of those emergency supplies necessary to increase that capacity in hospitals. And Governor Cuomo announcing that he was going to, by his authority, close the New York City playgrounds, that uh, the NYPD had not been aggressive enough, there was still too much commingling going on there, and that those playgrounds need to be shut down. That obviously is a significant move as we move into nicer weather and you have people cooped up in apartments um, to to eliminate, a, a, obviously, a potential place for sharing the disease and also a place where people were blowing off some uh, some steam during the, these these kind of weird days. Yeah, this uh, playground move, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, I, wanna, I think a little more time to think about it because um, at first blush, in some ways, this seems like the governor taking yet another opportunity to sort of poke the mayor in the eye. Um, now, at the same time, uh, city council members, the city council speaker, the city controller, the city public advocate, they've all called for the playgrounds to be shut down. So, you know, it's not like the governor's just doing this out of nowhere. The city council, um, we reported, presented a plan to the governor uh, a little more than a week ago that was a bit more aggressive than the mayor's plan for enforcing social distancing. But, you know, the mayor said that he was upping NYPD patrols and that they were monitoring the parks and the playgrounds and he wanted to try to keep the playgrounds open for now. They discovered that 10 of them had been repeatedly overcrowded. So they were closing those 10 and continuing to monitor others. And then all of a sudden the governor just announced today that he's ordering them shut down. And, I, you know, I'm just not sure about that move. I think in the grand scheme of things, this is not that big a deal. If there's kids that need to run around, there's obviously parks and fields um, and they don't have to be on playground equipment. Um, but I, I'm a little bit troubled by it in terms of a pattern of some of the things that we see the governor doing, um, you know, that seem to be same old business of looking for opportunities to stick it to the mayor a little bit when he doesn't really have to. And then also the broader theme of the city and state coordinating. Um, I was really troubled to see the fact that the governor and the mayor had separate events to welcome the USNS um, Comfort ship, the thousand bed ship that the Navy sent to uh, appear on the west side of Manhattan 
about an hour apart. They had separate events near the pier to welcome the ship. I mean, this just doesn't portray to New Yorkers, as far as I'm concerned, the right uh, message and the coordination. I mean, these, this is life and death, and they should be on the same page and holding as many joint events as, as makes sense. I mean, the governor has to be in Albany quite a bit, so maybe there it doesn't make sense. But anytime the governor has been having one of a bunch of events um, and announcements in Manhattan, especially, it really bothers me that uh, they're not doing it in a coordinated fashion. No, I think you're right. And and the playground move, um, you know, I wonder the, what information the governor was relying on to close all the playgrounds. It is, of course, true that many neighborhoods have parks that have open space where the people can run around. But in some neighborhoods, the playgrounds really are the only open space uh, and closing them really does significantly limit that. And it might be necessary, but I think it partly reflects the fact that there really is not much more that can be done other than a, a formal, you must stay inside your house all the time order, which might be unenforceable. Um, mm-hmm. The governor said as much a few days ago that what that was kind of frightening about this position we're in now is that we have done all the dramatic stuff. And so if we don't start seeing um, the decline in the pace of new cases, then it gets it gets kind of scary. Um, I have noticed that, you know, the governor and to some extent, except the mayor, too, with these daily briefings, um, some days there's news and some days there really isn't. Um, it's really a kind of a reiteration of their strategy, um, their concerns, their approach, their thinking. Uh, so this playground announcement is you know, something the governor was able to to say today that that, um, you know, was was novel. Um, right. as, as was the mayor's announcement of uh, Commissioner O'Neill's, uh, former Commissioner O'Neill's return. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I've been sort of wondering, the mayor skipped a couple of days, the governor hasn't, and I've been wondering if he's really going to do one every day for the duration of this crisis. Um, you know, they become something of a national phenomenon. People are talking about, you know, he should run for president, and he should be the nominee, and there's all this buzz around him. Uh, we don't need to get into that now. But, um, you know, I do think the governor has taken... Uh, some appropriate control of a lot of situations. You know, he organized in recent days and weeks was this plan to coordinate all the hospitals in the state, Uh, first insisting that the New York City public hospital system with its 11 hospitals, you know, creates a plan for how it's going to manage patient flow. Elmhurst Hospital doesn't keep happening where, where one or two hospitals are so much more overburdened than others. Um, and he really sort of seemed to, to jump on that and, and do something that, frankly, the mayor should have been doing. And it also, I think it was late, um, which was coordinating the public hospital system and then the, the you know, the sort of privately run nonprofit public hospitals um, that we obviously know there's so many in the city. And then there's others, of course, around the state and the governor really pulling leaders into a room together to say, everybody's got to work together. These burdens are going to be everybody's burdens. And we're going to start to have to transfer patients out of the city uh, into the suburbs and even upstate. Uh, And we need coordination within the city, uh, the different hospitals and different hospital systems that often really operate in silos. And I think that was a really important step that he took. And, you know, I've been I've been wondering why at all the mayor's briefings, we haven't seen representatives of the non-city hospitals to talk about that coordination. So it was good to see the governor step in on that front. 
And again, as we wait for our first guest, Joel Berg, to uh, come on the line, I want to remind people that obviously the the toll of this crisis, the toll of this virus continues to rise. Uh, The city now has identified, I believe as of this morning, uh, 44, really almost 45,000 cases and uh, 1,139 deaths. Obviously, the numbers are higher in uh, in the state uh, on both counts. Um, and you know, what everyone is searching for, obviously, Ben, is, is this sense that we have reached a peak. What I thought was frightening in the governor's press conference today, and I think this probably has been said before, but the way he expressed it was very clear, was that we may reach more of a plateau than a peak where we will be at a sustained high death rate for a while, perhaps as long as July, according to one of the models that they're using to try to predict this. And obviously, that's just one model, and it is it is a predictive tool. It's not a certainty. But I thought that was a fairly disturbing and sobering fact to think about. Indeed. And it was it was interesting to the governor talk about how they're working with different models, and, and some are more optimistic than others. But a lot of it still depends on the behavior of New Yorkers and, and, you know, people reiterating that it's really important to stay at home as much as possible and then keep social distance when you must go out of the house. Um, and that, you know, people's, people's behavior as well as what government is able to do in terms of, uh, healthcare capacity will really make a huge difference in all this. Um, you know, the different models that are out there, the governor talking about the peak, uh, of the crisis somewhere towards the end of April, but it's really unclear exactly when it will happen. So uh, this is not going to be a short-term uh, problem and crisis, and uh, you know people really need to be ready for the many impacts of it for for quite a while here, and hopefully it'll be on its way out sooner than later. But um, we're definitely looking for at it for a little while longer. Um, but I believe we have Joel Berg on the line now. Joel, are you with us? I don't think we have Joel yet. Uh, I am here. Just... Can you hear me? Ah. Ah. Joel, welcome to, to Max and Murphy Show. Thanks for coming on WBAI. Uh, you are the uh, CEO of uh, Hunger Free America, which is a nationwide anti-hunger advocacy and direct service nonprofit organization. And Joel, the first thing I want to ask about is sort of the, the, the last-ditch safety net for many New Yorkers is the food pantry system. What is your picture of how that system is holding up, how it's operating, given what I am assume is increased need and probably some difficulty, like every organization is having, operating uh, in, these, in these days? They are having trouble, and it's important to note uh, how ill-equipped they were to deal with the hunger problem even when times were good. I always emphasize that as wonderful as these agencies are, they're run by about the best people I've ever met in my life. They're putting their faith into action. Most of them are volunteers. Even in good times, they provide less than one-tenth of the dollar amount of food that the federal nutrition assistance programs provide. And if you include all the federal programs, probably less than one-twentieth. Of, of, of the food that the SNAP, what used to be called the Food Stamp Program provides, the school meals, the Women's Infants and Children Program provides. So they're important to filling in the gaps and particularly for undocumented immigrants who might not be able to get help from some of the other programs such as SNAP. Uh, but, uh, it's, you know, there are 800 of to a thousand of these agencies in New York City, and that sounds like a lot, but there are 8,000 retail establishments that accept SNAP. Most of these agencies, even in good times, were only open sometimes once or twice a month, sometimes just once a, a, a week. 
uh, you know, sometimes a few hours a, a, a day. And so it's no shock that a volunteer-run system uh, with many of the people running these programs are senior citizens that, uh, you know, a fair amount of them have been forced to close down. Don't know the precise amount. My guess is about uh, 10%. Uh, and, and so they are important, and they're the public face of the problem because you can see lines. On, on pantries and kitchen lines when uh, most SNAP food stamps applications happen over the phone or are online. So people, le- that's less visible, but that is a far bigger part of, of the solution and a far bigger part of the problem when the safety net's underfunded. Joel, take us through um, sort of how this works. I mean, what what when you say the solution, what what kind of needs to happen that either isn't happening at this point or, you know, should be happening given the scale of this additional crisis upon the food insecurity crisis that we've kind of just been dealing with um, all along before the coronavirus crisis hit? Uh, what what needs to happen here? What, what are the solutions, the steps, the, the, the answers look like? Yeah, and I, I and and I uh, hate to be apocalyptic uh, about this, but I think it's important, to, just as Governor Cuomo is realistic about the extent of the possible deaths and the length of this crisis, that people in my position have to be straightforward about the the extent of the problem we face now. In 2008, when things were theoretically hunky-dory with the economy, when the stock market was still soaring, when unemployment was still theoretically low. More than a million people in New York City and a few hundred thousand children lived in households that can't afford enough food. Uh, Stack on top of that, the immediate loss of countless jobs, a far more rapid loss of jobs than even in the Great Depression, because the job loss in the Great Depression took actually a few years after the stock market crash to have the full extent of the job loss. Add to that a million meals a day practically being served by New York City public schools that aren't being served. Add on top of that senior centers closing that were serving tens of thousands of meals a day to seniors. And then uh, on top of that uh, is that you know, some pantries and kitchens are, are, are closing. And then even if you do have money, low-income neighborhoods, probably people have less money to, to hoard than in wealthier neighborhoods, so they may not even have food on their shelves. So uh, we really are facing the biggest hunger crisis in, in modern uh, New York history. We don't have the exact numbers yet, but we, we know it to be true. And we know that some of the things in the, the uh, packages that were passed by Congress will help, you know, unemployment, uh, compensation, cash payments to some low-income people. But undocumented immigrants won't get those uh, payments uh, by and, and, and large and, and may be dissuaded from applying for unemployment compensation. So the first thing we need to do is expand you know, usage of federal nutrition assistance programs like the SNAP program, the, the real name for the old food stamps program, the Women's Infants and Children program that uh, feeds pregnant women and children under five. Use existing law to do that. And also uh, something that uh, Speaker Pelosi pushed through in bill number two is uh, relief bill number two is this thing called pandemic EBT, pandemic EBT, which is going to allow every person with kids in New York City public schools, or and for any AI listeners that are in the suburbs of, of you know Long Island or Rockland or Westchester or Northern New Jersey or Connecticut, if your kids are in closed public schools, you can get these benefits as well. And if you already get SNAP benefits, it'll be money will be put on your card. If not, uh, you can get a card issued to you and get about seven dollars per kid per meal. 
So that could be significant uh, money, hundreds of dollars of food purchasing power over the next few weeks. Uh, the biggest disappointment is while Schumer and Pelosi were pushing for the third stimulus bill to have a, a boatload of money for SNAP, about $10 billion for SNAP to increase SNAP purchasing powers, the Republicans insisted on that money coming uh, you know, out. And $10 billion is a boatload of money for poor people, but it would have equaled one-tenth, it would have equaled half of one percent of the $2 trillion bill. The average SNAP benefits now is $1.34 per meal. And this would have raised it to the princely sum of $1.54 per meal, a 20-cent increase per meal. And that was too much for Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and and uh, and uh, the House uh, Republicans. And so we, we need to really push to be a fourth bill to increase SNAP. And lastly, we need a massive program of delivering food to uh, to vulnerable populations, seniors, immigrants, low-income people who we don't want to socially congregate in, in places. The city is doing some of that. They're doing an enormous amount to try to serve 100,000 people a day with a brand new system. And unfortunately, they're probably going to have to ramp up to maybe 10 times that to even begin scratching the surface of the need. And so short answer is we need to expand the safety net programs using existing authorities, get Congress to pass more you know, funding and authority. And, and secondly, we need the state and city and federal governments to work together with groups like ours, with the National Guard, you know, making sure that volunteers and staff have true safety equipment uh, and, and the proper, you know, masks and, and gloves and private vehicles to do deliveries. But we're going to need a, a unprecedented delivery system that dwarfs anything uh, that New York City's ever seen. Joel, I'm glad you mentioned uh, purchasing power in that answer because that's one element of the story that often doesn't get touched on, which is that in addition to helping people who need money to put food on their table and feed their children, uh, nutrition assistance has a tremendous multiplier effect because people have to spend it. Uh, and so that means business for local supermarkets and they can employ people and then it can have a, a kind of grassroots multiplier effect through the economy. But one thing I wanted to ask about in terms especially of the potential for pandemic EBT is, you know, in the past when people have talked about problems getting hungry people the benefits they need, it's not just been about eligibility um, and it's not just been about the kind of paltry amounts that are involved in the benefit, but the mechanics of applying for it. Uh, of going into offices, doing appointments, getting fingerprinted. I know a lot of that has been streamlined, but is this process set up to enroll new people uh, purely online? Is that going to work in our kind of like no face-to-face -face meeting economy that we have now? What the state has proposed to USDA, and I don't know yet whether USDA has approved it, is a system that would actually get uh, – hundreds of thousands of people in the state or more benefits without any application whatsoever, basically by matching uh, pre-existing records for SNAP, for Medicaid, and what we call in New York City uh, community eligibility for school meals. I won't get too deep in the weeds for your, your listeners, but basically in New York City under this provision, every kid in public schools is considered to be a recipient of free or reduced price meals. And so the state has actually come up with a very smart very progressive plan and that if USDA uh, accepts it, no one will actually have to apply for the pandemic SNAP. Now that's separate than if we get approval from USDA to do disaster SNAP, which is a slightly different program, or the pre-existing SNAP. But I, I will say, uh, you know, I've certainly been critical of the de Blasio administration on a number of fronts, most uh, notably on, on really lagging on school breakfast in good times. 
but uh, in terms of social services and Commissioner Banks, you know, on 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 the food access side, he's really revolutionized, you know, the Human Resources Administration in a good way. And for people who say, you know, all sides are the same, I say that that's just not true. Uh, when you know, De Blasio came in and took over from from Bloomberg, and 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 Bloomberg basically kept the Giuliani policies of keeping food away from hungry people. You know, the city of New York did something entirely different. So we are actually in far better shape in terms of benefits access than virtually any place else in the country because we've implemented progressive ways to allow people to apply by smartphone, which most low-income people have now. And one thing, uh, for years, you could apply uh, online for SNAP, but you had to come in person to apply for cash assistance, uh, what's wonkily called, you know, uh, uh, you know, TANF, temporary assistance for needy families or New York City cash assistance. And the city and the state now have allowed you to apply even for cash assistance. Uh, remotely online or by phone without going into an office. Uh, so as apocalyptic as I am about so much else going on, we're actually in somewhat better shape in New York City to dramatically ramp up uh, you know, the federally funded benefits. Joel, forgive us. Um, we just have two more minutes. So um, uh, a two-part question here. Uh, and we're talking with Joel Berg, CEO of Hunger Free America. The first one is um, the mayor, as part of his initial response to this crisis, named uh, his sanitation commissioner, who's taken on other tasks as well before as the quote unquote food czar for this effort. Um, have you seen any indication early on that she is really jumping into this to help coordinate the emergency food response? You know, when we got a statement from her for a story quickly, you know, they said they were going to create whole new systems and a comprehensive effort. Have you seen that yet? Yes, I have been on a conference call with her, and I've been in touch with her staff on a, a daily basis, and the mayor's office has been incredibly supportive, and I do think actually the state of New York needs a, a food czar to do equivalent things. They, In fairness to the city, they are trying to do things in a number of weeks that normally would take government uh, a few years. So I'm, I'm, I'm pressing. We need to do more. We need to do it faster. But they've been incredibly responsive under very difficult circumstances. And just quickly, um, regular New Yorkers who are listening to this, um, what's one or two things that people can do to help? You, you can go to hungerfreeamerica.org. And after you've donated everything you can to uh, WBAI to help keep them on the airs, you can thank me <laughs> management for that. You can donate to Hunger Free America. If you need food, you can also come to our website to find out how you can get food. We also need volunteers to work from home. Certain projects you can do by computer or, or phone, or you can call one eight six six three hungry one eight six six three hungry to get the National Hunger Hotline, and we can also connect you with food. Joel Berg, the CEO of Hunger Free America. Thank you so much for joining us here on Max and Murphy. Thank you for highlighting Thanks, this. Thanks, Joel. Be well. Bye.